Hello all, and the very warmest of welcomes to the True Crime Enthusiast podcast, coming to you each time around from a very messy North Wales spare room, and where I seek each time to bring you those tales of true crime from across the UK and Ireland, that hopefully you won't be too familiar with, that sometimes you may hardly believe, or be horrified at, but which are all true. Bringing you these is myself, Paul, the creator, host and true crime enthusiast of the show's title, the most popular member of the team, Pixie, the true crime enthusiast cat, is here as always, right by my side. And we're completed by yourselves, the enthusiasts that me and Pixie do this for. And that's a very loose we, that is, as well, because the true crime enthusiast cat does absolutely bugger all towards it, I must admit. It is as wonderful, as always, having you join us today, which I thank you kindly for doing so, and I do hope that as you have done, then it's for a tale that finds you and yours all good, all safe, and all well. Right then, no preamble this time around, we've got a tale to conclude. Just a brief note also, if you've not yet listened to part one of The Romeo, then stop right now, my impression of the Spice Girls, and listen into that one first, or else this episode will make about as much sense as The Purpose of Wasps. What on earth are they for? I know it's common sense to always start with part one or something, but honestly, some people have gotten in touch before now, referenced different multi-part tales that I've brought, and have actually asked me, is there a part one? Straight up, yes. Some people should have a bell round the neck, shouldn't they? I mean, what does your village do for an idiot when you're not there? What else can I say? If you have already listened to part one, then just a quick recap. Last time around, I brought you the first part of a tale involving a woman named Angela Rylance, who back in 2010 was swept off her feet by charming music tutor Andrew Lindo. Their relationship blossomed, despite a couple of bumps in the road with Angela feeling the spectre of Lindo's ex-partner, Marie Stewart, who had left him and their two young children to flee abroad with another man several months before. Or so he had claimed, anyway. Seemingly reluctant at first to let Angela come and stay the night at his home in Holmfirth in West Yorkshire, on the night of December the 18th, 2010, he finally relented, and for the next few weeks, everything was rosy. Or so Angela thought, anyway but a world came crashing down on the afternoon of Sunday, February the 13th, 2011, when she answered a knock at the door of Lindo's home to be met with police brandishing a search warrant. Angela herself was then arrested following a search of the property because in the permanently locked garage, police discovered the badly decomposing body of Marie Stewart concealed in a flight bag. Worse still for Angela, she was released the following day, only to be told that Lindo had confessed to police to killing Marie and concealing the body in their garage some two months before. On the night Angela had first spent at the house. It was the first of several revelations that showed just how Andrew Lindo wasn't the dream man, the perfect boyfriend that he appeared to be though the majority of which would come out more at his trial, as three days later, which he was remanded to await when he appeared in court charged with the murder of Marie Stewart, and which I shall bring to you now. 
The episode contains details and descriptions of crimes and events, including injury detail, that some listeners may find disturbing and or distressing, so please use discretion whilst listening in all. Bearing that in mind, please join the true crime enthusiasts for the concluding part of a tale I have entitled The Romeo. On Tuesday the 30th of August 2011, a bespectacled Andrew Lindo, wearing a smart grey suit and blue striped tie, sat in the dock of Court No. 1 of Bradford Crown Court with a security officer as his trial for the murder of Marie Stewart began, and where the court heard his defence would be that he was forced to kill Miss Stewart to protect their young daughter because she was mistreating her. Opening the case for the prosecution, Michelle Colborne Casey told the jury there was no mistreatment and no truth whatsoever in the accusations Lindo made against his partner, saying, Marie Stewart was murdered by her partner, Andrew Lindo, on December 18th last year. It was the culmination of a protracted and brutal attack at the home they shared with their two children. He killed her, dumped her in a suitcase, and then travelled to Barnsley to collect his lover a lady called Angela Rylands, who had been invited to stay at the house that evening. Miss Stewart's body was not discovered until February 13th of this year. The defendant accepts that he is responsible for killing, but not murdering, Marie Stewart. He alleges that he was forced to kill her to protect their child, and so overcome was he by that need and his pent-up emotion that he lost his self-control. He contends that he was a faithful, loving partner, enduring protracted emotional and physical abuse over a period of years at the hands of the deceased. The evidence will show that the defendant was, and is, an inveterate and accomplished liar, living a double life at the time and, moreover, setting out a defence which is untruthful and creates a wholly misleading impression of both his own character and that of the deceased. Miss Colborne then described to the jury Lindo's own account of how and why he had killed Marie, indeed, the only possible account available, as he had given to police during his interview. It was an account somewhat supported by the post-mortem evidence, and tape recordings of his police interviews were played to the jury, who heard his story for themselves which he sobbed throughout hearing, and which went along the lines of as follows, a clumsy nightmare, as he described. The following is quite disturbing. Linda had told police during an interview that he and Marie were sleeping apart after the birth of their second child, Joseph, with him on a sofa bed in the front room, as their relationship had deteriorated. Though not through his affair, which had come to light, he was keen to stress, but rather through her attitude towards him, claiming rows between the two were a constant occurrence, saying, We were in the house, but we weren't together. She went insular and very demonstrative towards me and insulting me, just generally abusive. Her behaviour was so rude and so demeaning towards me, the way she talked to me was so belittling. Assassinating Marie's character further, Lindo continued and told police Marie was not maternal towards the children one bit, 
and he suspected in the past that she'd mistreated their three-year-old daughter, Isabel, also. He even appeared to blame his fiancée for causing his affair with Angela Rylance as well when this was brought up, saying, I just felt dogged. Marie was obsessed about my phone and about who I was texting when I was texting. It was almost as if I thought, well, you know, bollocks to it. If you think I'm having an affair, then I am. He didn't express that it was because Marie had discovered his affair, or one of them, that a row had begun that Saturday in December, which is far more likely the reason they would be sleeping apart, but rather because he claimed that he'd seen him mistreating Isabel. Describing the row in the bedroom over this that had led up to the alleged murder, Lindo said, Marie got really angry and lashed out at me, hitting me. I was getting more and more upset. She just kept hitting me, then spat on me, and I grabbed her arm. It just snowballed from there. It was like this nightmare. I just grabbed hold of her throat and started squeezing it. Lindo said he grabbed his fiancée around the throat, but covering her eyes so she couldn't look at him, continuing. Everything happened so fast, it was just so weird. I just thought, I've got to get this woman away from my daughter. I just kept squeezing and squeezing and squeezing. When I let go, I was thinking, this is just a nightmare. This is just horrible. After she'd stopped making noises and had gone purple and red, as Lindo described, he decided he had to get her out of the way. So wrapping her in a duvet, whilst the children slept next door, Lindo dragged Marie downstairs in order to place her body into a suitcase. But she'd come to and started making gurgling noises as he did so. So he had then tied a belt around her neck to strangle her, to try to make it stop. But the noises continued, louder and louder noises, and he thought, telling police, I'm obviously shit at strangling you, so I'm going to hit you. Lindo claimed he had then picked up the nearest object to hand, in this case, his daughter's wooden Winnie the Pooh chair, and had struck Marie about the head with it, saying, I just wanted her to shut up, I just wanted her to be quiet, I just wanted the nightmare over. Lindo told police that once he'd bludgeoned Marie, he then dragged her into the garage and decided to cut her throat, but claimed, I just lost it. It was like it wasn't me. I just picked her up by the hips. It was all very clumsy. I didn't want to see her face. I put some bubble wrap around her face because I didn't want her to look at me. He then grabbed a knife and just jabbed it in, as he described before putting her body into a Virgin Atlantic flight bag and hiding it at the back of the garage, underneath some disused carpet. I wanted to lock the door and pretend it never happened, Lindo said. He furthered that he then hoped to convince people she'd run away with another man, so that he could get on with his life with the children, and tried to ignore the fact he had a dead body in the garage. He'd left the body there, he claimed until it was discovered 57 days later, because, I quote, he hadn't got around to getting rid of it. Yes, I kid you not.
Miss Colborne continued. Following a frantic clean-up, he then spent an entirely pleasant day with Angela Rylance at the scene of the previous night's brutality. This frantic clean-up was the real reason for him being so late collecting Angela that evening, I'm sure that you've realised. So, after the brutal killing, and three different methods employed to ensure Marie was dead, I'd say was pretty brutal. Lindo put their children in his car, in their pyjamas, and went to collect his secret lover, Angela Rylance, then spent the night with her in the bedroom where the attack had started, as Marie's lifeless body lay two floors below, just 15 feet away, and he was as calm as anything. In the morning, Lindo then comforted his children about their absent mother, but now launched a new lie, for he then set about constructing a detailed smokescreen through social media posts and text messages to con the world that Marie Stewart had left him and their baby son and toddler daughter for another man. From that day, and going forth until his arrest nearly two months later, Lindo now began an extraordinary deception. Having access to Marie's social media accounts and being in possession of her mobile phone, he began making a regular series of posts and messages that was described in court, which gave the impression she'd left the country and was happier than she'd been in years, but which slyly he corresponded with from his own accounts to muddy the waters and strengthen the pretense that Marie was alive and was off somewhere. For example, four days after the murder, before he told Marie's family the lie that Marie had left them and had gone to live abroad to have fun in the sun, as he put it, with a lover, he sent a text to Marie's phone from his own mobile saying, Please come home, baby. I love you so much. Another text sent on Christmas Day read, Merry Christmas, gorgeous. Wish you were here. Love you. Hope you're okay. But perhaps most callously, though, on the couple's son Joseph's first birthday in January 2011, Lindo sent himself a text from Marie's phone saying, Wish my boy a very happy birthday. Tell him his mummy loves him. It's wicked beyond belief that, isn't it? And all the while, he was receiving great sympathy from Marie's family, who were appalled when they learned that she left, when she failed to see her children over Christmas, and when she even missed her son's first birthday. Miss Colborne continued. The defendant responded to messages sent to her phone, and also sent messages from his own phone professing his love and devotion for her, in order that it would appear that he was suffering the loss of her going. In fact, he was untruthful to the deceased, he was manipulative towards her, seeking to persuade her he loved her, whilst entering into sexual relationships with a series of hapless women. He is a philanderer who has been caught out by his lies, but, true to form, continues those lies before you. The prosecutor concluded, when he rendered her unconscious in their bedroom, dragged her body down to the garage, in between times strangling her with his belt, beating her with a wooden chair, placing bubble wrap on her face, 
before finally ending what you may conclude was undoubted torture for her by stabbing her in a determined knife attack, he had her death firmly in mind. So, a few days after the killing, Lindo had told Marie's father Robert and her sister Katie the story that he'd concocted, that Marie had left him and their children and had headed off to the Canary Islands because she couldn't cope with raising her two kids. Robert Stewart recalled later, Andrew told us that she'd packed all her clothes and left him. He was as normal as you could expect under the circumstances. It was an extra shock for Robert and Katie, because when Robert had seen Marie only a few days previously, she had asked them around to visit on Christmas Day and Katie knew that her sister, despite everything else happening in her life, was still excited about Christmas coming up, especially because Isabel was now an age where she would really enjoy it. Both were shortly on the phone to Marie for an explanation, although there was no answer to their repeated calls, but a text message did follow sometime later to them, along the lines of, Stop interfering, I'm fine, having fun in the sun. This became a pattern. Obviously, her family and friends thought it totally alien that a woman known for doting on her children so much would run away abroad from them, especially just before Christmas. But ever the chancer, whenever anyone raised how strange it was to Lindo, a Facebook message or status update, or a text message from Marie to that person would follow soon afterwards along the lines of an example sent to a friend of Marie's on December the 23rd, which read, Just want to let everyone know I'm okay, feeling a bit better for being away for a bit. My friend's looking after me, and I'm safe. However, all calls to speak to Marie would go unanswered and not returned, perplexing and upsetting people. Her sister Katie recalled later, I couldn't believe she would leave so soon before Christmas. I left her a voicemail on Christmas Eve begging her again to come home. I never heard her voice again. Katie added that she later received text messages from her sister's mobile after the holidays, I quote, just saying she was fine and she wanted to be left alone and we were all getting worked up over nothing. It's the epitome of callous that, isn't it? Now, Marie's family did rally around the abandoned Andrew Lindo here, believing she'd gone off with a boyfriend, and began helping him out with housekeeping and looking after the children around its working, Katie especially, beginning from that Christmas day. He carried on as normal, as I said in part one. From that Christmas day, his relationship with Angela Rylance went up a level, according to her anyway. Him perhaps feeling that he would appear to be vindicated by now being open in his new relationship. After all, to all intents and purposes, Marie had left him, hadn't she? And still, whenever anyone got in touch with Marie, he would text them back from her phone, even update the old Facebook status once in a while, to make out Marie was off living the high life, the shackles of her humdrum life well and truly thrown off. However, as time passed and he struggled to keep up this unimaginable facade, people began to grow suspicious because Marie, 
began posting things online in the kind of language that her friends were certain she would never use. For example, a bizarre Facebook status reading, have just done a bungee jump, WTF. Other updates, it was claimed, said, feeling really hungover, or drank too much. Marie's friend, police officer Holly Carter, said this reference to a bungee jump was, I quote, the final thing that made me think something was wrong. It didn't seem something I think she would say. And also, the drink one. She'd have a drink to enjoy, but that wasn't something she'd do. Another friend of Marie's, Kerry Sykes, was also so surprised to see that Marie had altered her relationship status on Facebook to single, that she went to her supervisor and raised the alarm with Marie's family. Meanwhile, Marie's family were becoming more and more suspicious too, and with fair grounds to be. Katie Stewart recalled later, After Christmas, on several occasions I offered to put the decorations away in the garage, which was where they belonged. He was quite defensive. He said, No, leave it, I'll do it. The garage was locked, and there was no key. The key was usually left in the garage door. Katie also discovered another woman's clothes at the house whilst tidying up, and toys that didn't belong to her niece or nephew, cementing that what Angela Rylance had said in the telephone call some weeks before was true. Katie added that a week or so later, Then, I came across Marie's passport. I was looking for clues, and I found it in the family file of facts in the airing cupboard. I'd been led to believe she'd gone abroad. She added that the passport had later vanished, an action which coincided with Lindo having stopped Katie from looking after the children, claiming that she'd been snooping. The mind boggles, doesn't it? So, with this not sitting right with Marie's family, when it transpired that the only person who claimed to have spoken to Marie since her disappearance was Andrew Lindo, once Christmas and New Year had well and truly gone, eventually, Marie's family contacted police, and on the 23rd of January, officers called around to 66 Perseverance Place to establish Marie's well-being, but found nothing suspicious there after a cursory look around. Lindo was home, but gave the same story he'd given everyone, and told Angela nothing of the visit once police had left, having no search warrant. Marie's family later that evening received texts from her mobile saying that Andrew had told her about the visit and reiterated she was okay and they should stop interfering and leave her alone. Lindo then went about with his new relationship. As I said, he and Angela even went to see potential new houses for them to live in together. But with a continued lack of calls from Marie, if you still have your mum, dad or siblings and you're as close as the Stewart family was, then imagine not speaking to them for a period of weeks and how much that's going to worry you. Plus the passport Katie had seen. When a wedding Marie was supposed to attend came and went in the second week of February 2011 and Marie didn't even get in touch with the bride to congratulate her, let alone come back to the UK for it, that was enough and on Saturday February the 12th, Marie's family once again contacted police, re-reporting their concerns, which was all they could do. 
The following afternoon, whilst Lindo was out having Sunday lunch with Marie's family, which must have been an excuse for them to see the children, surely, police were back around to 66 Perseverance Place, only to find Angela Rylance there. As we've heard, this time they had more of a deeper look, and Angela Rylance wasn't all that they found there, for they now discovered Marie's badly decomposing body in a Virgin Atlantic flight bag, surrounded by air fresheners in the locked garage. Lindo was in custody on suspicion of murder within a matter of minutes, where he soon came out with a tale that, who knows, perhaps he even now believed was what had happened himself, but which led to a murder charge for him, which six months later, he was now on trial for. Now, several witnesses appeared for the prosecution to give evidence at Lindo's trial to describe his background and his character. Some through the form of their witness statements read to the court, such as Amy Wilde and Alison Dorham, who had worked with Lindo at Take-Two Music Centre in Barnsley, and who had revealed that both had had a relationship with him simultaneously, but unbeknownst to them. But many of them given evidence as to events that I've mentioned in the first part of the tale, such as Lindo's employers, or his neighbours, giving evidence about rows they'd witnessed in the days leading up to the murder, and events on the night of it. For example, Patricia Shackleton, who on December the 18th had been babysitting her grandchildren, who lived next door to Linda and Marie, and who described how during the evening she had heard what sounded like an argument, followed by noises which woke up her baby grandson, saying, I could hear banging noises. I can't explain what it was. Then I could hear running, like someone was running up and down the steps. In a statement read to the jury, Angela Rylance's father, Peter, told how his daughter had been dating Lindo, and how, early in 2011, he and his wife, who's also called Angela, had gone to view a house in Hayde Edge, a small village to the south of Holmfirth, with the couple, saying, Andrew seemed more interested in the garage than anything else. There were a couple of flagstones loose on the patio area, and he said that would be one of his first jobs when he moved in, to relay the patio. Now, it struck me here, was Lindo thinking of concealing Marie's body underneath it, with shades of Fred West lurking about? Mr Rylance also told of a time when Lindo had really shocked him while they were out having a drink in a pub. He said he was having a chat with Lindo at the bar, and he joked to Lindo, I said, you're too good to be true, you are. You're too nice. Andrew said, all seriously, if you want me to be a bastard, I can be a bastard. I'd never heard Andrew speaking that way before, and it shocked me. Angela's father confirmed that on December the 18th, the day that Linda had murdered Marie, Linda was hours late arriving to pick up Angela from their house in Barnsley, as we've heard. He said when Linda arrived, he was with his two children, who were in their pyjamas, and Linda had told them he'd been held up at work, and then also had been stopped by police for having a broken headlight on his car, and being breathalyzed. Mr Rylance said, Andrew apologised for being smelly and sweaty, 
and said that he'd been doing some dancing at Take Two. I couldn't believe that Take Two would let him work so late at night with his children in tow. He seemed on edge and agitated. He wasn't his normal showy self and he seemed quieter, like he was in his own little world. I wonder why he was, eh? Members of Marie's family also gave evidence, such as Katie and her father Robert, who when he took the stand, told the course that at Christmas 2009, he had learned that Lindo planned to propose to Marie, saying, Andrew came to me and asked permission for Marie's hand in marriage. There was no wedding date set for them, but she wore his engagement ring with pride. He told the court how he was estranged from his eldest daughter for over a year after she left her husband Martin Waldron for Lindo in 2005. But after the birth of Isabel in 2008, the father and daughter had rebuilt their relationship. Mr Stewart also told how he spent Christmas morning with Lindo and the two children and his other daughter Katie. He said that he thought Lindo was a good father and had believed him when he said that Marie had left them which he didn't push because he didn't want to interfere too much in their relationship. But he said that he grew suspicious that Lindo was not telling the whole truth about the status of their relationship when Karen Lux told him of the affair with Angela Rylance, which he then confronted Lindo about. He told the court, Andrew said Marie had found out about it, and Andrew's way upon it was that he'd served his penance. He said that it had only been a text dalliance and nothing more. He told me that he was utterly faithful to Marie, but Marie was the only woman he'd ever been faithful to. Prosecutor Michelle Colborn asked Mr Stewart, Did you believe him? Mr Stewart said he didn't believe Lindo, and that he'd heard from other people that there were photos of Lindo with Angela Rylance on Facebook. However, Mr. Stewart said he had no suspicions that Lindo was lying about his daughter leaving. He said, Andrew is a very plausible actor, and he managed to convince not just me, but a series of other people that Marie had gone. There were messages from Marie's Facebook account to family members, which made it seem like she was still alive. Texts were also sent from her mobile. There's been a very substantial deception in terms of her mobile phone and Facebook entries. It was a huge act to keep people thinking she had travelled abroad. It was a substantial deception that had lasted until the day Linda was arrested as he enjoyed a family lunch at a nearby pub, to which Mr Stewart recalled Lindo had arrived late, looking flustered and troubled, and concluding, Within 30 minutes, the police had arrived and had taken him away, and that was that. But Angela Rylance herself was the main prosecution witness against Andrew Lindo, and gave a lengthy account in the witness box, telling the court the account of the meeting and through their relationship until February the 13th of that year, as I've already recounted in part one. When asked specifically by Defence Counsel Robert Smith Casey whether she'd seen any tears from him on that first night she'd spent with him at 66 Perseverance Place, only hours after Marie had been killed and her body lay hidden downstairs, Angela said that she did, in the bedroom, 
when they were cuddling. Asked if he was crying, she said, No, not crying. I just remember a tear falling down his face. However, she then explained about the bleeding she had suffered and added, I thought he was crying because of that. I don't think he was capable of shedding tears of remorse or pity, do you? If there were any tears, they will have been solely for himself and the predicament he was now in through his own actions. At the completion of the prosecution case, Lindo's barrister, Robert Smith, told the judge, My lord, we call no evidence. Lindo had opted not to give evidence on his own behalf. Perhaps all lied out. When presiding, Mr Justice Andrew Smith asked the barrister if his client had been advised that the jury may draw such inference as appear proper, Mr Smith replied, We have advised him verbally and in writing, my lord, but further claimed that Lindo's decision not to give evidence was due to an unwillingness to be publicly humiliated. Summing up, Mr Smith said, What you are about to hear of Andrew Lindo's defence is not an attempt to excuse what Andrew Lindo did or seek to mitigate his conduct. He is admitted to the unlawful killing of Marie Stewart and he also told the police what he'd done and formally pleaded guilty to the charge of manslaughter. Marie Stewart was the mother of their two children. They are now bereft of a mother and a father. Her death was particularly brutal, subject to blunt force trauma, strangling, and she was stabbed numerous times. The intention from us is not to let the defendant off scot-free, rather, the intention is to recognise what it is that he is to be punished for. Mr Smith told the jury at Bradford Crown Court that Lindo loved his children and was devoted to them. He conceded that his client's life was a complete mess and that he'd lied repeatedly, but the killing had not been planned or premeditated, he stressed. He then referred to Lindo's affair with Angela Rylance, conveniently not mentioning again the other two women that the trial had heard from, Amy Wilde and Alison Dorham, and added, Just because he was a philanderer and had lied doesn't make him a murderer. It is one thing to look at him as a philanderer, or as one of the witnesses described him as a player. Let's not think he was playing away all the time. What we invite you to do is ask yourself, why? He was obviously not getting the emotional support he needed from Marie Stewart. Understandably, she had two young children, one of whom was only nine months old, and a responsible and demanding job. She may have been ill and not receiving the support she required. He stressed this point that Miss Stewart had faults as well and could be irritable and argumentative, referring to Lindo's description of Marie in his police interview as a difficult woman who often belittled him in public and made much of the obscene claim that Lindo must have believed Marie was maltreating their three-year-old daughter. He went on. Mr Lindo said she was fabulous with children and children loved to be in her company but she just wasn't very good with her own. Mr Lindo saw Miss Stewart maltreating their daughter, so he went into their bedroom and he lost it in what he described as 
a watershed moment. What causes a non-violent man to do something as terrible as this? To inflict blunt force trauma injuries on her? To strangle and stab her not once or twice, but possibly at least 12 times? We submit there was something going on at Perseverance Place. What other explanation is there for the killing, apart from that something happened in that house to tip him over the edge? Mr Smith told the jury that Lindo's actions on the night of the killing were totally out of character for him, saying, You are entitled to ask whether there is some other explanation for Maurice Stewart's death, rather than the explanation put forward by the prosecution, that he wanted Angela Rylance in his house that night. Once emotion and prejudice are put aside, and the evidence examined carefully, we invite you to conclude that this is a sad, distressing case for all concerned. However, with the evidence considered, there are compelling reasons to consider that Andrew Lindo is not guilty of murder. The prosecution then delivered its final speech, with Miss Colborne asking the jury to think back beyond the night that Marie Stewart was killed at the home the couple shared in Perseverance Place. She said, on Valentine's Day 2010, Andrew Lindo professed his love and respect for Marie Stewart by asking for her hand in marriage. On the anniversary of that event, he was under arrest and interviewed on the suspicion of her murder. He had asked her to spend the rest of her life with him and planned to forsake all others for her, which is no mean feat for a man who claims Marie Stewart was making his life a living hell and had done so for a number of years. She described how throughout the trial, witnesses, including friends and family of Marie, had described her as a caring and loving mum, one who rarely drank, and who was so conscientious that she even organised meals for the family the night before. Miss Colborn continued, Andrew Lindo says Marie Stewart did nothing around the house, that he did everything but there is not a single piece of evidence to support that. Putting aside the fact that she was a girl guide and had a Duke of Edinburgh award, she was a beloved daughter, sister and friend. As a mother, she was overjoyed by both pregnancies. Her babies were her life. She didn't drink, she didn't go out, she was even at home for a Christmas works party due to childcare difficulties. She booked time off for her son's first birthday, which wasn't until January, but she wanted to spend quality time with her child. From a young age, she chose to become a carer for children with special needs, children that were physically and emotionally demanding. Was she so resistant that she saved it all for Andrew Lindo? She then addressed the jury regarding Lindo, saying, he was, and is, capable of carrying out monumental deceit. From the point at which he and Marie Stewart were romantically involved, he was cheating on her. He cheated on his friend, Martin Waldron. He then had relationships with at least two other women before starting a relationship with Angela Rylance, which he described as exciting. She outlined again how the prosecution believed that the two-month delay in finding Marie gave Lindo the chance to concoct an excuse, create a story about maltreatment of their daughter, 
which he described as a whopper, and continued, Having taken their mother from them that night, he uprooted his children so that he could lie in the arms of a woman that was to take their mother's place in their lives and in his bed. He says he just wanted peace and quiet for the first time in three years. When he achieved that peace and quiet, he put Vanish on the stairs, stripped the bed, and went to see Angela Rylance. On that night, how else did he imagine it was going to be possible to accommodate Angela Rylance at his house, when Marie Stewart was in her pyjamas, planning to stay in her own bedroom? She was last seen with her baby in her arms, and an hour later, she was set upon by Andrew Lindo as she lay in her bed. He did not lose control, he lost his temper. In his own summing up, presiding Mr Justice Andrew Smith asked the jury to consider these points in relation to manslaughter. Did the defendant deliberately kill Marie Stewart? When he inflicted the injuries, did he intend to cause serious bodily harm or death? And was he suffering from a loss of self-control? Would it entitle him to rely on the defence of manslaughter? As he then went through the evidence about the injuries Miss Stewart had suffered, some of her friends had to leave the public gallery. So distraught were they. On Wednesday the 21st of September 2011, it took the jury of four women and eight men at Bradford Crown Court just 55 minutes deliberation to deliver a unanimous verdict of guilty of the murder of Marie Stewart against Andrew Lindo, upon which he bowed his head and continued to stare hard at the floor, as in the public gallery, members of Marie's family, including her mother Helen and sister Katie, hugged each other and wept. The following morning, sentencing him to the mandatory term of life imprisonment, Mr Justice Smith told Lindo, I have seen no single sign of remorse from you. Even when eventually you had no choice but to admit killing Marie, you again portrayed yourself as the victim. The murder was not planned, but the attack on her was vicious and sustained. You assaulted Marie in bed and tried to throttle her. You used a suitcase to haul her to the living room. She was still alive. I am prepared to suppose, having considered the evidence, she was not conscious. You battered her face with a solid wood chair and you tried to strangle her with a belt. You pulled her to the garage, covered her face in bubble wrap plastic and then inflicted fatal blows with a knife, stabbing her at least eight times. Your children were in the house at the time. There is no evidence that they woke before or during the fatal attack. We can only hope that, mercifully, they did not but the noise was enough to rouse the two-year-old boy next door. I cannot tell why you killed Marie Stewart, still less why you killed her so brutally, or whether there was a motive, and if so, what it was. But I do not accept that you were provoked or suffering prolonged stress, and that evening, you faced a crisis in the double life that you were leading. You had convinced Angela Rylance that you were a single father deserted by your partner, and you were committed to having her spend the night at your home. It was not the first time you'd seduced other women with such deceit, cunningly trapping them and betraying Marie and your family. 
You might have been driven to do what you did because you couldn't face losing Angela Rylance. Within minutes of the killing, you were cool and calculating enough to send Angela Rylance a text message assuring her that you would collect her to bring her home. The judge then praised the behaviour of Marie's family as truly moving, but told Linda, The dignity and restraint that they have shown during this trial cannot disguise the enormity of what you inflicted upon them. Your allegations reached new depths in accusing her of mistreating her own daughter. I am sure that this was without truth, and that it was a deliberate and despicable fiction. There could hardly be a more heartless device for concealing your crime and Marie's body, and if anything could add to the tragedy and loss of a daughter, sister and friend, that was calculated to do so. Throughout the sentencing, Lindo stared forwards blankly and expressionless, emotionless, his hands clasped in front of him. He didn't even flinch when the judge told him he would serve a minimum of 22 years before being considered for release on licence. Mr Justice Smith added, When you have served it, it will be for others to consider whether it is safe to release you. Those faced with the decision will weigh it carefully. They will be wary of your extraordinary cunning and facility for deceit. They will also reflect upon how someone could be as calm and calculating as you were so soon after such a murder. They will consider all the texts that you sent that evening, and they will ask themselves whether your mental state can sufficiently be comprehended for it to be safe to release you. Lindo was then taken away to begin his life sentence, and will not be considered for release until 2033 at the earliest, when he will be 51 years old. Following Lindo's conviction for murder, it was then that details of his relationship with the then 15-year-old music student emerged and that they had had reported sexual contact, although details further than this were not reported nor on how many occasions this had happened. Just hours after the murder of Marie, whilst his other lover Angela Rylance was waiting for him in his bed, he had texted the girl an indecent photograph and begged her for a crude photograph back in return, as well as trying to lure her into going for a drive with him in his car. No remorse whatsoever, no thoughts of anyone except himself. However, Lindo was never charged with underage sex, because it only emerged after he had been arrested for murder. After Lindo's sentencing, as Marie's family raised a toast to the guilty verdict in the Victoria Hotel opposite the court, her father, Robert Stewart, struggled to control his emotions as he paid tribute to his daughter, condemning Lindo's web of lies. He was surrounded by other family members, including the victim's sister Katie, as he made his statement, saying, it is difficult to imagine a more gut-wrenching experience than to be told that your daughter's body has been found in the garage of their family home. This, compounded by the fact that Andrew Lindo, the so-called partner, had first killed her in the most violent manner and then allowed her body to remain undiscovered for over seven weeks while he continued within his own fantasy world. He is lied, misled, 
abused, cheated and stolen from us on a monstrous scale. He delivered an acting masterclass to the world and his unfortunate female victims and has painted Marie as a lazy, feckless mother who had abandoned her children for a better life. He stopped at nothing to blacken her name in the very worst possible terms. Let me tell you that he has failed. He also used his intimate family knowledge to deliver jealous, spiteful and vindictive text messages to me and our family in a further attempt to inflict more pain and to throw us off the scent of his evil deceit. He presented and cultivated this image of the perfect father figure whilst juggling affairs with numerous unsuspecting women, often at the same time, to further indulge his enormous ego. These were not the actions of a downtrodden and abused man, as he claimed, and he has lied and cheated relentlessly, as well as trying any desperate tactic to save his own skin. Andrew Linder was blighted the lives of his two children forever and caused irreparable pain to us all. It is inconceivable that this man could tell so many lies and cause untold damage to so many people. His failure to take the stand shows that he is a coward of the first order. It saddens me enormously that one day very soon his children will have to know exactly what he did to their mother and that we are left to pick up the consequences of his actions. Marie will live on in our hearts as a fabulous daughter, sister and loving mother who would do anything for her children. Her daughter knows her mummy is in heaven. Powerful words, eh? Also speaking after the sentencing, Detective Superintendent Dick Nuttall, the senior investigating officer in the case, said Lindo's behaviour had inspired revulsion amongst even the most experienced officers on the inquiry team who painstakingly exposed his lies and subterfuge to present a compelling case to the court, saying, Andrew Linder was now being convicted of the murder of Marie Stewart, a verdict which confirms that this was a cruel and deliberate act rather than the spontaneous and momentary loss of control that Linder had claimed in his defence. Lindo killed Marie in a series of brutal assaults that began in a bedroom a few feet from where the young children lay asleep and which continued through three floors of the family home before ending with Marie's body being callously consigned to a flight bag in the garage. Within hours of Marie's death and by prior arrangement Lindo brought his unsuspecting new girlfriend into his home before embarking on an elaborate charade that convinced everyone that Marie was still alive for several weeks. In his conduct since killing Marie, Linda was continually sought to avoid or minimise his responsibility for his actions. Right from Lindo's despicable behaviour and use of text and Facebook messages prior to his arrest, his lies and crocodile tears in police interviews through to his descent to the ultimate low of blackening Marie Stewart's character in the worst possible way, he has shown himself to be calculating and manipulative. This killing had its roots in Andrew Lindo's selfishness, and whilst it is his behaviour that will make the news, we shouldn't forget that through his actions he has caused the needless death of Marie Stewart and has deprived her two young children 
of their loving and devoted mother. Boom, having that too right. Angela Rylance was for a long time racked with misplaced guilt at her involvement with Lindo, thinking that if she'd never fallen for Lindo's lies and hadn't asked to move in with him, Marie might still be alive. Explaining this when she appeared on the This Morning TV show the following year, saying, Knowing I was in that house with Marie's body downstairs makes me feel sick. People say I must have known he'd killed her, but I didn't. I look back now and think how stupid of me to believe it. Everything that I knew about him was a lie. I fell in love with someone else, not that monster. I was completely duped by him, and I feel so desperately sad for Marie and her family. It was awful in court. That was the scariest thing I've ever done in my life. I looked at him, and he smiled. I had to stop myself from crying. I felt repulsed having to say the things Andrew told me about Marie in front of her parents. What they had to sit through was horrendous. I heard she'd been looking forward to Christmas and that she was a devoted mother. It was so different to the way Andrew had described her. I felt guilty and wondered if he'd killed her because of me. I really feel for Marie's children. That's truly heartbreaking, and if I can support them in any way, I will. Now I have sympathy for it, and I understand Angela's gesture and meaning here, but it must be so difficult things like this, for you don't know how you could possibly feel, do you? Would you want to reach out to others who were affected, or would you feel it best to keep a distance and let everyone try in their own way to move on, because you'd feel it somewhat of a constant reminder is it best to just break ties the ripples must spread far and wide from evil such as this mustn't they it was reported several years after lindo was imprisoned that he'd formed a band whilst in jail its members consisting of other life-serving prisoners of course lead singer and pianist was lindo on drums was aspiring actor Christian Kerniff, who, in 2007, along with two other muggers, had kicked 48-year-old father of five Howard Pennant to death for his wallet in Croydon in South London. On guitar and violin was Mark Alexander, a former law student who had in 2009 battered his 70-year-old dad Samuel to death and buried his body under the patio at their home in Drayton Parslow in Buckinghamshire, so he could escape his domineering influence and lead his own life. And completing this motley crew was fourth band member Shane Thomas, who was jailed for life for murder over a gangland shooting in Huddersfield in 2007. The four inmates reportedly got together for practice every weekend at Her Majesty's Prison Gartry in Market Harborough in Leicestershire, and by the time this was revealed, had reportedly played in special concerts for prisoners and prison staff to mark events such as Black History Month and Christmas. A prison insider said, Lindo is the music teacher and an expert pianist, so it was his idea to start up the band. He got the go-ahead, and Mark teamed up with him, for he plays the violin and guitar and sings. Thomas joined, then Kerniff joined in too, as he used to play the drums. 
When they play, they look like a normal, talented group of musicians. You wouldn't think they were all killers, and to be fair, they are decent. They play a mix of rock and jazz. And the equipment is really good. I bet people on the outside would love getting this music gear for free. Mark even got special permission from the governor to bring his violin in. That's unheard of normally. Now, this apparently isn't the first time a rock band has formed in a high security facility. For in 2008, convicted murderer Ricky Trigaskis even recorded and cut a CD with fellow patients Lee Porritt and Robert White whilst they were in Broadmoor Hospital. Their unnamed band had formed to compete with a rival group there, and yes, I swear down, this is apparently what they were called, the Incurables, which was made up of convicted sex offenders and was fronted by convicted rapist Gary Dyer. Yes, seriously. Give me Johnny Cash live at San Quentin any day. When I came to research this tale, the more I read up on it, the more I disliked Andrew Lindo. Well, as if you ever think a killer is alright, of course, but you know what I mean, I'm sure. I don't like arrogant people one iota. I have no time for them whatsoever. And this one, Lindo, well, how self-centred do you have to be to consider people as playthings for you to just use for gratification? and not have a single shred of remorse for the constant lies and deceit, or a pang of guilt. The scale of the arrogance and the constant, almost compulsive lies jumped off the page to me, and I believe that he only stayed with Marie, not out of love, or because she was the mother of his children, but because he wanted to have his cake and eat it, for committed relationships or other people's feelings mean nothing to Lindo. I think he no more loved Angela than he did Marie, or Amy, Alison, the then 15-year-old. The list goes on. It was purely sexual gratification and excitement for him. The murder I don't think was planned too far in advance, because it does seem chaotic, like it was spur of the moment. But I say too far in advance, because I do think he was feeling the pressure of having his house of cards crumble around him from Angela pressing him, and he's got to have considered that if he removed Marie from the equation, then it gives him breathing space, end a problem, no one to give him a hard time or be suspicious of him. So finally, that December night, and it could have impulsively stemmed from a violent route, sure, but he's killed Marie then. And though he'd obviously thought as far ahead as concocting a tale to explain his sudden absence, he just hadn't thought as far ahead as getting rid of her body. The mother of his two children. Not a single shadow of a thought for his children missing their mother, depriving both of them of something so important and cherished going forth. It was all to preserve his own selfish wants. The depth of his charade to conceal his crime too, it's quite mind-boggling really, and you have to think to yourself, how long did he seriously think he was going to get away with it? Why did he not move Marie's body somewhere as soon as he could, in the days immediately following the murder? Was it perhaps a control thing, having her there, 
Was it arrogance, thinking, I'll never be caught for this? Or was the cowardly Lindo just burying his head in the sand, frightened to be caught whilst out dumping her body? But what struck me most about the whole tale is how callous a crime it was. A horrifically brutal murder and an undignified end left just like junk is horror enough. But to then act as though nothing whatsoever had happened merely hours later with a lover, and to then go on and deceive so many people so slyly without batting an eyelid, to think so little of people who loved Marie that you can allow them to live in the same house as her body has been hidden, or to let them visit and just try to placate their understandable concerns with text messages to them. To even use a mother's love for her child in a message to cover yourself, as he did on his son's first birthday. And, when the deception can be no more, to then blacken the name of the woman you've killed by coming out with even more compulsive lies, to try to paint yourself as a victim. Sickening and shameful. His children are so much better off without him, and I hope that they have fully cut him off now forever. A despicable, absolutely wicked, pathetic individual who is incapable of feeling anything except for himself. And please take thoughts of them, Marie's family, and Marie herself away from this tale, rather than the specimen that is Andrew Lindo. For the scathing words from Mr Justice Smith and Marie's father Robert towards him that I recounted are totally justified ones. I really do not like this individual one bit, and I hope fervently that the years Linda was spent in prison have been particularly hard ones for him, and continue to be too. What do you think? I would love, as always, hearing your thoughts and feedback on the tale, The Romeo, which you can do so in the thread that's now up and running in the show's Facebook discussion group, or through any of the show's social media links, folks. I never mind wherever you do, and I'm always happy to chat. I'll always get back to you too, as soon as I can. I shall be back very soon with yet another new tale from The Enthusiast, which I'm off to do now as it so happens. So, until we next speak then, all that remains for me to say is that I've been, I still am, and hopefully still will be Paul, the true crime enthusiast, wishing you all good and safe times, and I'll catch you very soon. Thanks for joining me in the MOG today. Take care all, stay safe, and goodbye for now.